the pandemic, social unrest, the state, and the White House. You are listening to The John DePietro Show. John DePietro on AM 1380, 99.9 FM. Folks, you can always listen online at the website, DePietro.com. We have made it to Friday. It's not your imagination. That is snow outside. Oh, my goodness. The good news is it's only going to be today mixed in with rain uh and then uh next week and the weekend actually looks nice folks i want to start off there was quite an exchange yesterday we have a great show in store for this friday uh famed attorney ken Starr is going to join me coming up but i want to play this uh exchange between dr anthony fauci representative jim jordan where they really start going at it and um and then you know a lot's been made of it but i think representative jim jordan i think he raises some very important very important issues with dr fauci Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Dr. Fauci, when is the time? When is the time? Well, in your written statement, you say now is not the time to pull back on masking, physical distancing and avoiding congregate settings. When is the time? When do Americans get their freedom back? Can you put your microphone on, please? When we get the level of infection in this country low enough that it is not a really high threat. what is low enough give me a number what i mean I, we, we had 15 days to slow the spread turned into one year of lost liberty what metrics what measures what has to happen before yeah. americans get my, their freedoms back? my message uh congressman jordan is to get as many people vaccinated as quickly as we possibly can to get the level of infection in this country low that it is no longer a threat that is when and i believe when that happens you will see what determines when i'm sorry what what measure what i mean are, are we just going to continue this forever or when does when does no. when do we get to the point what measure what standard what objective uh, outcome do we have to reach before before americans get their liberty and freedoms back you know i you're indicating liberty and freedom i look at it as a public health measure to prevent people from dying and going to the hospital you don't think americans liberties have been threatened the last year dr fauci they've been assaulted their liberties have i don't look at this as a liberty thing congressman jordan well that's obvious as a public health thing but, but uh, the, i disagree with you, you on think that the completely. constitution is suspended during a during a, a a virus during a pandemic it's certainly not this will end for sure when we get the level of infection very low it is now at such a high level there's a threat again of major surges. dr fauci dr fauci over the last year americans first amendment rights have been completely attacked your right to go to church, your right to assemble, your right to petition your government, freedom of the press, freedom of speech have all been assaulted. I mean, for a year now, Americans haven't been able to go to church. Even today, when they go to church, they're limited in the size of, of, of worshipers who can meet. Your right to assemble? Oh, my goodness. We had a curfew last fall in Ohio. You had to be in your home at 10. In Pennsylvania, you had to be in your home. Uh, when you're in your home, you had to wear a mask. In Vermont, when you're in your home, you didn't have to wear a mask, Dr. Fauci, because you weren't allowed to have yeah. people over to your house. Yeah, yeah. Congressman Jordan. Your yeah. ability to petition your government well, for a year, for a year, American citizens haven't been able to come to their capital to petition their government to talk to their representatives and freedom of the press. These very pictures that Representative Scalise just showed you and talked about, Guess what? The press isn't allowed in those facilities. The press is not, the Biden administration will not let the press in there. And certainly freedom of speech. I mean, freedom of, the governor of our third largest state meets with, with physicians and, that, and that's, that, that video is censored because they dare to agree, disagree with Dr. Fauci. So I just want to know, when do Americans get their First Amendment liberties back? You know, I don't think anything was censured because they felt they couldn't disagree with me. I think you're pers- you're pers- making this a personal thing, and it isn't. It's not a personal thing. No, you are. That is exactly what you're doing. No, your recommendations carry a lot of weight, Dr. Fauci. We just had the, the chair yeah. of the Financial Services Committee said she loves you, and you're the greatest thing in the world. Will My the recommendations yield? are consistent. Will the gentleman yield? No, it's my, it's my now, time. Can I answer the question, please? My recommendations are not a personal recommendation. It's based on 
the CDC guidance, which is which is and which I'm asking the question, what measures have to be attained before yeah. Americans get their First Amendment liberties back? I just told you that. I no, you haven't given anything specific. You said we hope when this certain tell me specifically right now, right reached. now, we have about 60,000 infections a day, which is a very large risk for a surge. We're not talking about liberties. We're talking about a pandemic that has killed 560,000 Americans. I, I, and I That's get that, what we're Doc, talking about. And, and I don't disagree with that. And I, and I understand how serious that is. But I also stand it's pretty serious when businesses have been shut down. People can't go to church. People can't assemble in their own homes with their friends, with their families. People can't go to a loved one's funeral. People can't get to their government, petition their representative to redress their grievances. Right. I also understand the First Amendment's pretty darn important. And it's been a year. And I want to know when right. Americans will get those First Amendment liberties right. back. Well, you just said people cannot assemble in their own homes. They can. That's a CDC recommendation for vaccine. Not last fall, they couldn't. I'm, I didn't hear. Not that. last fall, they couldn't. I, I didn't hear what he said. The gentleman's time has expired. Um, I'll give you one instance of when we can get our liberties back. It's when 90 percent. Of the members I, of the United States Congress getting vaccinated. Well, I want to know if that's what Dr. Fauci is. It 90 percent, Dr. Fauci? Is it 90 percent? That's what I'm. That, that's what I'd like to know. Give me some. Give us some objective standards versus when certain things get reached, we might be able to get back to having our liberty. When? What are the numbers? Well, You're going to see a gradual. Uh, from the right now, we're at an unacceptably high level. We're at on a daily basis. It's unacceptably high regardless of who you are. What you're going to see as more and more people get vaccinated and we get over 3 million people a day, you're going to see the level of infection come down and down and gradually there will be more flexibility for doing the things that you're talking Where about. Where does it get to? When it comes down, what number do we get our liberties back? Tell me the number. Tell when me the number. 90% of the members of Congress get vaccinated. But you're not a doctor, Mr. Clyburn. He is. What is the number? I can't Thank give... you for recognizing me, Mr. Clyburn. Thank you. Can't not recognize this uh, for five I'd minutes. I'd like my question Ms. answered. Malone. I don't. I don't want. Reclaiming my time. Reclaiming my time. Regular Doc. order. Regular order. No. Just the, a moment, Mr. Mr. Chairman. Mr. Chairman, I don't want you to answer my question. The American people want Dr. Fauci to answer well, the question. What does it have to be? Expire, sir. If you need to respect the chair and shut your mouth. Don't worry about this. We we're going to handle this. And I think Mr. Jordan knows me very well. And he knows full well that we're going to handle this. Your time has expired. And the chair now recognizes. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Ms. Maloney. Folks, again, um, <clears throat> that was the exchange. It's John DePietro. That was the exchange with uh, Congressman Jim Jordan and Dr. Fauci. Dr. Fauci did not answer that question. It's also remarkable now. New Hampshire is uh, going to a no-mask mandate. And yet you certainly don't hear any talk about that. All right. You're listening to The John DePietro Show. Well, it's a challenge to run your business these days. Maybe you need to find the right type of workers. Why not let MEGA professionals find them for you? Call MEGA professionals today, serving Rhode Island and Massachusetts, 508-336-7801. MEGA, M-E-G-A, professionals, 508-336-7801. Maybe if you need workers. Maybe you have workers that won't come back to work. You need drivers, certified help, part-time, full-time, maybe weekend work. You need the professionals at MEGA Professionals. Let them find the workers for you. They screen them all out. They send them right over to you. Serving Rhode Island, Massachusetts, call them today, 508-336-7801. Maybe you need mechanics or skilled labor or warehouse workers, office workers, professionals, even those in the healthcare profession, MEGA professionals. Call them today, 508-336-7801. Again, 508-336-7801. You focus on your business. Let MEGA professionals help you find the workers. MEGA professionals, 508-336-7801. Have you been thinking about updating your website? Do you have questions about how to get the most out of social media for your business? Would you like a free consultation from a local digital marketing professional who has been doing this work for 23 years? Contact Karen Etchells at Innovast Digital Marketing. Karen will help you better position your brand on the web to engage visitors 
and get results. She's local and responsive. Call Care Naturals at 401-321-2799. That's 401-321-2799. Or find Karen on the web at www.innovast.com. We're in an accident. Someone hits your vehicle. It's damaged in some way. Pick up the phone and call West Fountain Auto Body, 401 272 3340. They're located 400 West Fountain Street in Providence. Folks, as you're riding along, you just never know. You could be dealing with a drunk driver, someone not paying attention. How about the people texting and driving? If you ever damage your vehicle, call West Fountain Auto Body, 401 272 3340. Several reasons. One, they'll handle everything for you. Two, they're going to work for you, not the insurance company. And three, they'll make your car. It'll look like it just rolled out of the showroom. West Fountain Auto Body. Call them 401-272-3340. Did someone damage your vehicle? Whether it's a small fender bender or nearly total vehicle, West Fountain will restore your vehicle, get it back on the road. Call them today, 401-272-3340. And remember, if you're having an accident, first thing you want to do, call the police, fill out a police report. If the tow truck shows up, tell them, let's get this vehicle over to West Fountain, 401-272-3340. Joining us right now, he has a very distinguished career. He is also, at one time, was the U.S. Solicitor General. He has a new book out, and it is tremendous, Religious Liberty in Crisis, Exercising Your Faith in an Age of Uncertainty, Joining us right now, I want to welcome to the John DePietro Show, it's the one and only Ken Starr. Good morning, Ken Starr. Hey, good morning, John. Good to be with you. Thank you. Congratulations on the book, Religious Liberty in Crisis. Uh, Couldn't come out at a better time. I want to just start off with, what was your motivation for writing this particular book at this particular time? Well, when the pandemic uh, hit, uh, we saw the storm clouds uh, gathering, governors taking... um, positions that seem to me to be completely inconsistent with fundamental ideas of American freedom, especially the freedom to uh, to worship. So uh, the, the book has been uh, on my heart for them, 40 years, and I can explain that if we have time, but it was time to articulate as best I can in very accessible language, here are the great principles. There's six great principles of American religious liberty. We can all understand them, and let's try to understand them so that we can be effective soldiers now in this peaceful battle uh, for restoring and, and, and certainly maintaining religious liberty when we see church closures and the like. And uh, I think it's a harbinger of things uh, sure to come that are endangering this first freedom, the very first words of the Bill of Rights, the very first words of the First Amendment protect religious liberty. It's the foundational liberty. We need to all understand it fully and protect it. Ken Starr, during the, the you know throes of the pandemic, when people's faith was challenged, people had loved ones dying, what, what jumped out at you when New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, one of the first things they did was close the churches and then started limiting, no, you can't have loved ones at the funeral. Nope, there won't be more than 10 people in the church. My reaction was that it was blatantly unconstitutional, and it took a little while for the courts, especially the Supreme Court of the United States, which has been a great friend of liberty, to sort through all this. And you know, we're in the midst of the pandemic; people were dying. It was uh, a very and is a very tragic uh, time. But my reaction was, wait a second, you have issued this categorical wait religious of our constitutional protections of our first freedoms. We don't have an untrammeled constitutionally protected right to go wandering into a liquor store. We do have a right to go to our church, our synagogue, our place of worship. Folks, we're speaking with Ken Starr, his new book, Religious Liberty in Crisis, Exercising Your Faith in an Age of Uncertainty. Now, Ken Starr, obviously the big talk today what is your reaction to the news the Biden administration? Well, the, at least they want to have a bill. We haven't heard from the White House yet, but all this business of packing the court, expanding the Supreme Court, which you have argued in front of, by the way, over 36 times. 
Yes, it has been my privilege uh, over several decades to, to argue before the Supreme Court. And whether you agree uh, or disagree with a particular decision or even a line of decisions, the Supreme Court works well. It works efficiently. And we've seen and heard voices such as that now in the court of Stephen Breyer, appointed by President Clinton, uh, the liberal icon, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, before she passed from this life. She said in very, very clear language that the Supreme Court should not be expanded. And so it's a raw political move, a power move, and I hope it's going to be roundly rejected uh, by both parties. But I certainly hope that some members of the President's party come around and say, you know, we just... uh, no, we just can't do this. It's wrong. It's wrong to tinker with the structure of a very well-functioning branch of government. I'd like to get into the book a little bit, Ken Starr. How can we protect our faith through any crisis that we face? First, I think there's the self-education process, just as Abraham Lincoln educated himself and so many people in the history of our country. Not everyone had the the blessing of growing up in New England with all the colleges and universities and so forth. Uh, John Adams would say, let's let's read. Come let us reason together. So I want people to be able to read this book. It's 170 pages long. And to then reflect on the book and discuss it around the dinner table with children and with grandchildren. We need a transmission. We need not an automobile transmission. We need a transmission of the fundamental principles of American life and liberty passed on to the next generation. Because guess what? We've had a transmission breakdown over the last two generations. There's been a collapse of civic education in the United States, and that includes the idea of who we are as a free people in terms of the freedom to worship and the freedom to exercise our faith, not simply by going to the church or synagogue or place of worship, but to carry on our lives consistent with our worldview or consistent with our religious tenets. That's who we have been. People who protect the exercise of conscience informed by faith for now over two centuries, that is being not just eroded, it's being challenged frontally. And we have to equip ourselves as citizens, especially those who uh, are in a journey of life that is informed by faith and belief in that which is higher. We, of all people, need to be at the vanguard of educating ourselves so that we can debate effectively in the marketplace of ideas, including our next-door neighbor, our clubs, our organizations, and so forth, and to be able to say persuasively, this is why that governmental action is wrong. Something I just instinctively feel it's wrong, but it goes against my opinion. These are principles that are embedded in our constitutional order, and I can speak to them even though I haven't gone uh, to law school or set foot in a law school. I can be an effective and zealous advocate for American freedom. We're speaking with Ken Starr, folks, his new book, Religious Liberty in Crisis, Exercising Your Faith in an Age of Uncertainty, right here on the John DePietro Show. Ken, what will happen to our religious liberty if government officials overreach? I'll tell you exactly what's going to happen. Friends of Liberty will come rushing like the Minutemen of New England (laughs) centuries ago. And uh, they will come down from the mountains and from the hills and the valleys and the cities, and they will rally around the flag of freedom. But we cannot allow even the slightest erosion of those freedoms. So here's what people can do. They're wonderful friends of freedom. They're sentinels. Uh, they're, They're are people who are doing such wonderful work in defending our uh, freedoms in the Supreme Court of the United States. I'll name just a couple. Alliance Defending Freedom, uh, First Liberty, based in Dallas. I serve on the board of the Christian Legal Society, our Center for Religious Liberty. These groups are doing fantastic work, and so we need to support them with our encouragement, if we can, uh, support them financially, because when the battle cry comes, hey, there's a threat to liberty here, but this city council or this governor or whatever, 
these groups are ready to go into action. We have to have the courage to stand up for what we believe and say, Governor, you've gone too far, and guess what? I've called the police. They're called the Alliance Defending Freedom and these other groups. Now, Ken, as we're talking and we're hearing now about, you know, this plan to pack the Supreme Court, expand it, could you touch on the ways that people may not have realized, but the Supreme Court has provided protection from different forms of government overreach and why that's so important? Let me just use one example, and I appreciate that question very much, because sometimes we say, well, the Supreme Court, who cares? They sometimes get it wrong, and we can, of course, have our disagreements with a particular decision or line of decisions. Let me give you, here's a very happy story. So the Obama administration's Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, the EEOC, went after a Christian school in the Midwest, which had fired uh, one of its teachers, who had threatened legal action. There was a genuine squabble, a genuine dispute between the teacher and the school. And the teacher said, if you don't take me back, she was on disability leave, I'm going to sue you. And the school said, well, that's inconsistent with the Apostle Paul or St. Paul's teaching that we don't sue one another, we don't take one another to court. She said, I'm going to court. So she went to the EEOC, and uh, the uh, school did then say, you have uh, dissolved bonds of trust, you're fired. The EEOC took the position in the Obama administration that uh, the school couldn't fire her because they were retaliating against her for making a threat to just exercise her legal rights. Here's now the happy end of the story. The Supreme Court of the United States unanimously, nine to nothing, rejected the EEOC's position that the school was not within its rights. It was a hard case because the teacher had a good case. But guess what? A great principle of religious liberty, the principle of the autonomy of religious institutions carried the day, swept the field. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Sonia Sotomayor, <laughs> Stephen Breyer, Elena Kagan, the, the so-called liberal wing of, of the court, which Justice Ginsburg has passed from this slide. But nine to nothing, the Supreme Court said to Obama and EEOC, you can't do that. You have to leave them alone. So it's a great principle, one of the six principles that I try to describe in the book, and that's the principle of autonomy, the autonomy of churches and church-affiliated ministries, including church schools. Folks, we're speaking with Ken Starr, his new book, Religious Liberty in Crisis, Exercising Your Right in an Age of Uncertainty. Ken, right now as we're speaking, there are some people listening uh, on the Brown University campus, around the Brown University campus. When's the last time you were at Brown? And uh, to, if, if you don't mind, just I'd be curious to hear about your experience when you were at Brown and your experience when you were in Providence. Yeah, I was there a long time ago, and I have great affection for Brown uh, in the political science department. I went there and I PhD program, and so I have last left campus. I've been back a time or two, and oh, long time, 1969. Oh. I got a math, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I got a master's degree in political science, so there, and my experience was very positive. And, and I would go to a church at the at the chapel. Uh, and there, even though it was a time of ferment, we had, of course, the assassination of Dr. King, yes. of Robert Robert Kennedy the prior year, a tumultuous uh, election, the election of Richard Nixon in 1968, uh, the civil rights movement and so forth, violence in the streets, cities burning, sound familiar and so forth. Yet there, there was, uh, I thought, uh, a sense of, uh, what should I say, seriousness of purpose on the part of the student body. Yep. Uh, there, there were no riots, etc. So uh, I actually had a wonderful experience at Brown and continue to contribute to, uh, to Brown University. I'm very grateful uh, uh, to Brown. Oh, yeah. No, the school is absolutely thriving. Folks, his uh, book, again, Religious Liberty in Crisis, Exercising Your Faith in Age of Uncertainty. He is Ken Starr. Ken, really a privilege to speak to you. Congratulations on the book. And uh, so glad that you were able to uh, speak out about it. And good luck, and we'll talk to you again sometime. Oh, I look forward to it, John. And thanks so much for your kindness. Thank you very much, folks. Ken Starr right here on The John DePietro Show. 
MEGA truck and trailer repair. Call them today. Commercial trailers, diesel equipment, serving Rhode Island and Massachusetts, 508-336-2110. 508-336-2110 for MEGA, M-E-G-A, MEGA truck and trailer repair. As I said, commercial trailers, diesel equipment, free estimates. FHWA inspections and Rhode Island State Inspection Station, trailer pickup and delivery, 24-hour mobile service, serving Rhode Island and Massachusetts. It's MEGA truck and trailer repair. Call them today, 508-336-2110, 24-hour mobile service, and also ABS repairs, brakes, doors. Listen, if it's on a trailer, MEGA truck and trailer repair, they can repair it. Call them today, 508 508- 336-2110-508-336-2110. It's MEGA Truck and Trailer Repair. If you've been thinking about updating your website or if you have questions about how to get the most out of social media for your business, you could receive a free consultation from a local digital marketing professional. And she's been doing this work for 25 years. Contact Karen Etchells at InnoVest Digital Marketing. She will help you better position your brand on the web to engage visitors and get results. She's local and responsive. Give Karen a call for a free consultation at 401 401- 321-2799. That's 401-321-2799. Or find Karen on the web at www.innovast.com. Folks, you're listening to the John DePietro Show weekdays. We start at 11 and we go until 2. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at the website, dePietro.com. Joining us right now, it's time for our legal segment. He is... Uh, our legal expert, Rhode Island attorney Tim Dodd. Tim, I want to start off with this this Ray Tempest case that certainly has gotten a lot of attention over the years. It's been going on so long, and yet there's another interesting development. Yes, this case is well known to most Rhode Islanders um, regarding Beaver Tempest. Um, he was the prime suspect in a murder of a young woman named Poirier in Woonsocket back in like 1981-82. They could never really get sufficient evidence to um, prove that he did it. Um, Woonsocket police investigated for years. They finally thought they had a sufficient amount of evidence. They got the attorney general's office to take the case. Uh, The case went to trial. Tempest is convicted. Fast forward to um, the early... 2010-2011, okay. Tempest gets involved with the Innocence Project, which has been doing great work around the country, yep. uh, investigating old, old prosecutions, old convictions, and re-examining uh, largely the forensic evidence. In 2015, a hearing is held before Judge Procassini uh, moving to throw out the conviction based upon new, new forensic evidence. Um, the judge does throw out the conviction and finds that there was um, irregularities in the way that the uh, Woonsocket detectives went about investigating this case, the, the way they went about potentially in, uh, intimidating witnesses. Um, there was problems with the prosecution because it appears that the prosecution withheld certain exculpatory evidence from the defense. The trial was a mess. And Judge Procassini was well within his purview and I think made the correct decision to throw out the conviction. Okay. That is appealed to the Rhode Island Supreme Court. In 2016, the Rhode Island Supreme Court affirms what Judge Procassini did in throwing out the conviction. Okay. Now Beaver is entitled to a new trial. So he is set to retry the case before Judge Kraus, who's a very good, very tough judge. Um, there's a flurry of pretrial motions. Beaver sees that these motions are not going his way, and he decides to take a plea deal on what we call an Alford plea. An Alford plea is a specific type of plea where you admit that the state has sufficient facts that you could be convicted on the evidence that they've got. But in an Alford plea, you still maintain your innocence during the course of the um, 
the hearing where you're telling the court you're not going to go to trial, you're going to maintain your innocence, but you're going to take a deal. The deal was for time served. And Judge Krause, as he and all the judges would do, would be to explain to the defendant in great detail what an Alford plea means. And what it means is you're agreeing to a conviction. That's the bottom line. You're agreeing that you are going to be convicted and you work out a deal about how much prison time you're going to serve. And he gets credit for all the time he served and he walks out of prison. So 2016 is an important date because right after the Supreme Court rules, he goes back to start his trial. He takes the deal in 2016. Now, he has two problems, and the attorneys for Woonsocket and the two um, Woonsocket cops, Rod Renblad and Ron Pennington, are moving to dismiss on two very strong grounds. Number one, John, is there's a statute of limitations issue. Even if you were to assume that there was misconduct by the cops, misconduct by the AG, when Judge Procassini found it to be so, you might say, well, that's when the statute of limitations runs. But you might say, no, we have to wait and see what the Rhode Island Supreme Court does. So in 2016, they affirm what the uh, trial judge did. So arguably, the statute of limitation would have run in 2019, if he had any case at all. Hmm. He didn't file suit until late in uh, 2020. So the defendants here are arguing that um, Tempest is outside of the applicable statute of limitations. And I think they've got a strong argument on that count. Next, the defendants are saying that he can't bring this case anyways because he he agreed to take a um, plea deal, which resulted in a conviction. He had the complete right to take his case to trial to put on his witnesses, to, to have a defense, to make the state reprove the case and put it in the hands of a jury. But he didn't take that shot. He took the sure thing. And I can't say that I blame him. But in doing so, he can't take the plea and then say, well, I only took the plea because of all this um, police and prosecutorial misconduct that happened you know, 20 years ago. He had the right to his trial. He forfeited that right by taking the deal. He can't have it both ways. He can't take the deal, agree to a conviction, and then challenge the fact that he was convicted in the first place because of misconduct by cops and prosecutors. I see. So I think he's going to lose on one or both of those um, very compelling arguments. I, re- I read the brief that the uh, defendants put forth in favor of their motion to um, dismiss. And I think that um, Tempest attorneys are going to be challenged very strongly in terms of coming up with arguments to counter what um, a trial judge in the federal court is going to have to consider. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they put forth a very good argument why this thing should all be thrown out right now. Folks, we're speaking with attorney Tim Dodd. Tim, let's go to uh, last Sunday, <clears throat> this past Sunday, excuse me, where you have, uh, you know, there's a police stop in this Brooklyn center outside of Minneapolis. It's not a big town, 30,000 population. Uh, guy, you know, they get him out of the car. We've all kind of seen the tape. She thinks, I'm going to tase you, I'm going to tase you, taser, taser. And then that gunshot goes off. Um, we, we, where did the cops go wrong and then... She was now that officer who has resigned has now been charged with second. I think I believe it's second degree manslaughter. So if you don't mind, can we just start with the charges against the police officer? Yeah, she's been charged with second degree manslaughter. And every jurisdiction has different uh, statutory elements for you know murder, second degree murder, manslaughter, etc., In the state of Minnesota, second-degree manslaughter, the elements are where a defendant creates a, excuse me, where the defendant creates a, quote, unreasonable risk, close quote, and kills another through negligence. Hmm. So that's where she could get caught on the negligence issue. Clearly, she intended 
I think, to utilize her taser. Right. Unfortunately, sadly, she fires her service revolver and kills the gentleman in the car. You got to say that was negligent. Whether it was a mistake, whether it was an accident, it was clearly negligent. And when she went for to do either of those things, the risk of choosing the wrong weapon creates an unreasonable risk. Now, Mm. from a political perspective, it's not surprising that a determination has been made to charge her, and it was made so swiftly because of the political environment that's out there. It seems to me this case should have still gone to a grand jury. There should have been an internal police investigation. But in today's day and age, I think that um, the uh, statement that she would be so charged had to be made to try to take the pressure and the uh, public outcry out of this thing. One thing that makes it very quizzical that she could have done this and I don't think she did it intentionally, personally. I think it was a, a, a grave and um, sad and unfortunate error. From what I've looked and read up on this thing, since they've come out with tasers, there's been about 20 cases over the years where cops have utilized a service revolver when they thought they were about to tase a defendant. The explanations are all over the place, such as, you know, in the heat of a very dramatic situation, you know, you just have a brain freeze and you go for the wrong weapon. And I guess that's possible. It is curious how she could do it because most departments are trained that the officer should carry their service revolver on the side of their dom. So if you're right-handed, you would put your service revolver in your right hand, Correct. put your taser on the weak hand, so to speak. Yes. Also, but not always, but frequently, the taser is a bright yellow gun. Yeah. It looks like a pistol, but it doesn't look like a weapon. It looks like no. a plastic toy right. thing. And it handles differently. Handles differently. Yeah. It's much lighter than a service mm. revolver. And when you shoot one of these tasers, it almost has to like warm up and then it fires, you know, that projectile that will then stun and presumably incapacitate um, the suspect. So how she could have picked up the service revolver, which is black, um, weighs a lot more than a taser. Um, I mean, I can't account for adrenaline, the heat of the moment, you know, there's, there's all kinds of emotions and adrenaline going on, but it's a pretty big mistake further. John, when, when, when this occurred, this um, defendant suspect had broken away from the cops, run to his car, and he was trying to escape. Yep. Two big cops were chased him down. He was in his vehicle. There were two big cops on either side of uh, the door to the, the driver's side of the car. Right. This officer sort of pushes her away in and says, taser, mm-hmm. taser, taser, and blasts the guy. It, yeah. it didn't seem to be something that was necessary. And it's like she went out of her way to inject herself into the situation. Well, she was the training she officer. She was the training officer, so. but it, it, it seemed an unnecessary seemed... to inject herself right. in to that situation at that moment. Yeah. So, And Tim, the, the weapon on the video, it, it looks like a handgun. Yes, it did. No, excuse me. It was a handgun. It... You're right. That which plays into, you know, if it was a different color with a taser, I mean, it was right out there in front of us. We're watching the video. You can see it. No. It doesn't seem to make sense. And I haven't seen any reporting as to some departments do use a taser, which is a dark color. I don't know. And I haven't seen any reporting as to the tasers that this department uses. Are they the typical bright yellow or are they black? Right. We don't know that yet. No. Folks, quick break. A lot more. Attorney Tim Dodd right here on the John DePietro Show. Spring is here. Time to contact Bethel Certified Softwash. You can text Jared a free estimate at 401-617-2585. Bethel Certified Softwash. They have a great website. 
It's RhodeIslandSoftWashing.com outside your home. Let's get rid of the grime and the stains, maybe some of that, that green algae and moss and mildew that build up over the course of the winter. Call Bethel Certified Soft Wash today. Again, outside your restaurant or your home or a roof or a deck or a patio or a walkway, it's Bethel Certified Soft Wash. Remember, it's biodegradable. It's plant safe. Look for them on Facebook, Bethel, B-E-T-H-E-L. Their Facebook page, the before and after, are just tremendous. Contact them today for a free same-day text estimate, 401-617-2585, 401-617-2585. Again, remember, they have a great website. It's RhodeIslandSoftWashing.com, Bethel Certified Soft Wash and Power Wash. Have you been thinking about updating your website? Do you have questions about how to get the most out of social media for your business? Would you like a free consultation from a local digital marketing professional who has been doing this work for 23 years? Contact Karen Etchells at Innovast Digital Marketing. Karen will help you better position your brand on the web to engage visitors and get results. She's local and responsive. Call Karen Etchells at 401-321-2799. That's 401-321-2799. Or find Karen on the web at www.innovast.com. We're speaking with attorney Tim Dodd. Tim, the defense now, the prosecution rested, the defense, they started the defense today. We're talking about the Derek Chauvin trial, the death of uh, George Floyd. You know, little by little, uh, that Eric Nelson, I thought, He's done a decent job chipping away. Um, I, I think it is curious. So the, the defense will go this week. I believe they're going to have closing arguments Monday. The judge is going to sequester the jury um, next, starting next week after they get the close after closing arguments. But I, I'm curious if, um, you know, today they had a pathologist who said that he believes it's undetermined how, how Floyd died. They've done a pretty I think decent job regarding introducing the drugs that were involved and also the, you know, one guy gets medical expert gets up and says one thing and then they get a medical expert up and he says the, the opposite. Yes. The first defense expert um, rendered an opinion that Chauvin's acts were justifiable and consistent with departmental training and departmental guidelines. Now, Certainly the prosecution will chip away at these experts and get them to concede things here or there. But the jury is hearing now from new experts from the other side of the case who are saying diametrically opposed things that the prosecution's expert said. So expert one says the acts were justifiable. Expert two comes out and says some pretty strong things um, to quote him, he said, I feel that Derek Chauvin was justified and was acting with objective reasonableness following Minneapolis Police Department policy and current standards of law enforcement in his interactions with Mr. Floyd. That's a pretty unequivocal statement. The same expert goes on to say, it's easy to sit and judge while you're in your office what this officer did out at the scene. You've got to put yourself in the officer's shoes to evaluate what that officer was experiencing, what they were sensing, what the crowd was doing, what the defendant was doing. There's a lot that goes into it. And essentially saying it's easy to be a Monday morning quarterback. It's very tough to be out there on the scene where you're always in, encountering something unexpected. And both experts have also commented uh, on the crowd and the training that an officer needs to keep the suspect under control because the officers were unsure whether that crowd was going to um, become more participatory and come after the cops or try to get in there and wrestle the cop away to help um, Mr. Floyd out. I mean, who knows how this was going to shake out? We know how it shook out now after the fact, but in real time, you really don't know how things are going to shake out. Um, second expert also talked about <clears throat> where the placement of the knee was, that it wasn't near the windpipe, and that for an extensive period of time, uh, Floyd was speaking. 
while he's saying I can't breathe, he was breathing and speaking. Um, that argument goes so far. I think it goes into maybe the first five minutes of the scene, but in the last four minutes, it's a tougher argument to make because Floyd wasn't speaking. He wasn't doing anything. He was laying there um, in, a, in a dreadful state, whether he was dying or dead at that point. Um, the medical examiner that was brought in also gave some compelling testimony. And you're right. He said that the cause of death should have been marked undetermined. It shouldn't have been marked by the ME as homicide. And right. this expert, who was well qualified, he used to be the chief medical examiner in the state of uh, Maryland uh, with strong credentials, says, listen, this guy had an enlarged heart. He had extremely high blood pressure. He had fentanyl in his system. Um, you know, he had all these things going on. He had an enlarged heart. Uh, all of these things could be contributing factors that led to his death and not necessarily just the officer's knee being on his neck. There were so many con potential contributing uh, factors leading to this man dying that you can't pin it simply on Chauvin and simply on that act of the knee on somewhere on the back or the neck. Um, and the prosecution chips away at that, but that's pretty strong stuff for the jury to hear. Now, what will happen at the conclusion of the case when the judge instructs the jury, the judge is going to say, you don't have to accept any of these expert opinions. You can accept the ones that you want to accept. You can reject the ones you can want to reject. You can reject them all. Um, you know, it's up to you to give these experts the weight that you feel is appropriate. So the jury could be looking at this thing and liking the prosecution's expert and you know, think that the defense experts are simply hired guns or vice versa. But all the defense has to do, as we've said, is put reasonable doubt in the minds of the jurors. And if reasonable doubt is established... That's, that's your roadmap to getting an acquittal. And as we're listening, John, to these defense experts and looking at the very dangerous charge that the judge reinstituted of third-degree murder, to review, third-degree uh, exists in, in Minnesota whoever, without intent to cause death, does so by an act so imminently dangerous to others and evincing a depraved mind without regard for human life is guilty of third-degree murder. So the thing that hurts Chauvin is the language that says whoever without intent causes the death. And then the next thing that has to be proved is was it eminently dangerous? Well, you got experts saying that what he did was eminently dangerous and others saying it was not eminently dangerous. But then you get into this tricky clause that says evincing a depraved mind. So they would have to yep. prove that Chauvin was such an SOB that knowing that he was slowly asphyxiating this man on the ground, continued to thumb his nose at the crowd not to listen to them, um, to be Mr. Tough Guy and to keep his knee wedged against uh, Floyd's neck. If the jury finds that that's what he was doing at the time, then they could find that he had a depra de depraved mind. But the sure. elements taken together are difficult for the prosecution. I mean... It, it, did he cause the death? That's the first question. Was it his act that caused right. the death? Um, and was it dangerous? You got some experts saying, oh, yes, this was very dangerous. And others saying, no, this was policy. Tim, I want to ask you, um, the New York Times is covering this very extensively. And one thing that the reporter I picked up on <clears throat> put that saying right now we are on a lunch break since we have different reporters uh, representing the news being the courtroom every day, it's difficult to say how the jury's reacting to the defense experts. But according to two pool reporters from the journalists in the courtroom, jurors were grateful for a break. 
jury overall appears pretty low energy, burned out. The jury seems drained of some of the comments. And then another person put, I love how these two descriptions of the pool report. Juror 13, per usual, seems to have fallen asleep a few times. And when break is called approximately 10.50, they seem relieved. What, what, what are we to make of that they, they seem pretty burned out, low energy, and drained? And maybe even one of them uh, seems to uh, doze off from time to time. Well, that's not good for the defense. You want jury, you yeah. want jurors who are engaged and sitting upright and listening to something new and saying, oh, I hadn't heard this before. Oh, I hadn't considered that. Wow, that's, a, that's an interesting point. If yep. they've been bludgeoned for two weeks with this very emotional testimony, um, mm. you know, heart wrenching, people sobbing on the stand, the brothers up there crying, the girlfriends oh, up yeah. there crying, and I'm not diminishing. Talking not, to him, talking to the ghost and, of George Floyd. And, and I'm not diminishing that testimony. No, I, I, I am recognizing the effectiveness in. Um, Playing to the sympathies, at the very least, of the jurors, um, you know, the defense, as we've said, has to sit there and take it. Now, we just hope, well, not we, the defense would just hope that the jurors haven't tuned out. You know, when I say right. we, I think as a defense attorney, we always hope that yep. the jury can hang in there long enough and not be sick of the case or come to a conclusion before hearing all the evidence that they'll give the defendant and his witnesses and experts a fair shake. Um, that may not be happening. And if it's not, that's bad news yeah. for Chauvin. And uh, Tim, Tim Dodd, is that where the jurors just maybe not even, they don't vocalize, but it's basically like, I've heard enough. Like I, I, I've heard enough to make up my mind. And therefore, just as we said, I am tuned out and zoning out and I'm not even absorbing because today they, they showed when they had Floyd in the car and he was started with the I can't breathe in the car. They didn't have the hands on his neck. And then he said, can you just lay me out on this on the sidewalk? And I also thought the expert that's, you know, they had an expert today say they think it was carbon monoxide that from the car that maybe helped uh, contribute to the death. But but none of it matters if the jury is burned out, low energy, tuning out and just looking forward to when the judge says, let's take a break. That's always a concern for trial lawyers. Yeah. You, know, you don't want to lose the jury. Now, by the same token, you know, if the prosecution uh, burned out the jury and they were just sick of their presentation, it might not has, have been as fully effective as the prosecution would like. But I think it's worse for the defense right now. Yeah. Folks, another quick break. More with attorney Tim Dodd right here on the John DePietro Show. Mega Logistics, they're there to help you. Give them a call today, 401-431-2300. MEGA Mega Logistics. If you have freight, you need freight, goods, third-party brokerage for your company, warehousing and transportation. How about custom freight, supply chain management, routing, bill auditing, customer developing, proven track record with Fortune 500 companies you can depend on on MEGA, MEGA Logistics. Call them today, 401-431-2300. 401-431-2300. Does that sound like your company? Maybe you have freight or you need freight goods, third-party brokerage, warehousing, transportation, custom freight. They have the experience. Call them today. MEGA Logistics, 401-431-2300. 